Did you know that some of our most downloaded episodes have to deal with money and finances? Yep, that's right. So if you haven't had a chance to go back and listen to Melissa Houston's episode from the month of April, you will want to do just that because she's talking all about finances and she tells all about how, how she put herself as you know somebody who works in accounting into deep debt and how she got out of it and how she helps business owners do the same thing. But for right now, I am jumping in with the brilliant Dave Selinger. Let's go. Ever found yourself teetering on the edge of throwing in the towel? You know, asking yourself questions like, is this supposed to be this hard? Or is it even possible to succeed at this entrepreneur thing? I completely get it because I built my successful businesses while juggling major health issues for my children and myself, debt piling up to my eyeballs and so much more. Want to know how the hell I succeeded and how you can too? Tune in to find out. Here we go. entrepreneur and welcome to today's show. You are in for a good one. I am joined by David Selinger, who was an early employee at Amazon working directly under Jeff Bezos. He led the R&D arm of Amazon's data mining and personalization team. He also co-founded Redfin, now a multi-billion with a B dollar company and founded Rich Relevance, a company that offers personalized shopping experiences for large retail brands, including Macy's, Barney's New York, Office Depot, and others. And he is now in the process of inventing and bringing to market, which is there for homes and businesses. I'm really excited to talk about the next big thing in home security called Deep Sentinel. So David, welcome to the show. Michelle, glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. So take us back, friend. I know I know you got your first computer at like age six, which <laughs> I on did. That. my mom got that, that for us. Good job, yep. mom. Um, and I know that, you know, I, I did my a little bit of my homework, but, you know, take us back to college days, friend, because I know you went out and then came back in, huh? Yeah, so I, um, I, when I was, when, when my mom got me that computer when I was six, I grew up in a little town in Oregon, and I decided that I wanted to be a techie. I wanted to like build stuff. I wanted to do stuff with my hands and build cool stuff. I watched this special on PBS um, about Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and that's a, yeah. one of the top technical schools in the country. My aunt happened to be a, a postdoc or a professor there at the time. And so I was like really enthused about that. So I wrote them a letter, told them I was going to go there. They wrote me back and like sent me a bunch of sweatshirts and a t-shirt and nice. uh, postcards. And, and I was like stoked that that was where I was going to go. So everybody I met between the ages of six and, uh, and 18 up until November uh, 20th uh, in 1995, I told I was going to MIT. And on November 20th in 1995, I stopped telling people that because they told me I was not allowed to go there. Uh, they sent me back my rejection letter. Oh, uh, and, uh, and so <laughs> Yeah, so if you could send that stuff back to us, we'd like that back, uh, you know. And, and it, was, it was really, that was my biggest, my first big life setback. I was, I was crushed by that. I mean, literally 12 years of my life, it was like, that's Everything. what I'm gonna do. Yeah. You know, but let, let's just put this setback in context. Um, I had not gotten my responses from other schools. I ended up getting into Stanford, Carnegie Mellon, Mellon which is in, in Pittsburgh, one of the other top schools yeah. in the yeah. nation. I got full rides 
at Carnegie Mellon, another engineering school in the Midwest, and University of Washington. I think I applied to University of Oregon as well. Um, so I mean, I had I had options. Yeah. My 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 backup school was Stanford, and I'm going to Stanford. So I mean, like, let's not uh, let's not shed too many tears there on that part of the story. <laughs> Uh, and, and Stanford was amazing. I, I, I could not have been more blessed. In fact, I think honestly, the admissions councils at the two schools got together and were like, this is where this guy's got to go because that was way better for me. Yeah. I loved it. I met you know, some of the best people in my life there. It was a very entrepreneurial school, whereas MIT is much more kind of technical for the spirit of technology. And so obviously, you know, Stanford's in Silicon Valley. And so that became the foundation of the rest of my career in a lot of ways. Um, as you mentioned, I, I did drop out. I was going to school in, in the time period of the biggest, you know, entrepreneurial yep. revolution that, that we've been exposed to in, in the dot-com. And so I had started a couple of companies. I dropped out to go do those companies for a couple of years. <clears throat> and then I, I returned to Stanford in uh, 2001, 2002 and actually finished my degree. And that was, you know, another like really neat experience yeah. was being able to go back from the working world where we're making tons of money and, and you know, kind of getting stuff going to academics where you have problem sets and assignments and go to lectures yeah, and work. people hear whether you show up. And, and, and in general in work, I, I've always been in technology where people don't care whether you show up at nine or 10 or 11 or noon or 2 p.m. as long as you get your stuff done. And at school, you know, classes at 10, 15. And if you're not awake till 11, you, you miss class and you're in trouble. Yeah, and exactly. so, yeah, I've, I've always, um, unfortunately or fortunately, I've always been one of those people that pushes the limits of that. Uh, in, in high school, my parents let me skip school and just get my assignments done and, and nice. take the tests. And, uh, and so I've always been one of those kids that was always focused on the objectives. And that I think also became one of those platforms of growth for me because in high school I would make deals with my teachers and say hey I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come to school in the morning but I will show up in the afternoon and I'll do an advanced college level experiment yeah. with you yeah. and nice. they'd say okay I won't mark you absent and so I'd, I'd, I'd always kind of like push the limits of what people thought was possible and was okay um, I did do that to um, to an error uh, to to an extreme at times and so I, I definitely got slapped down yeah by the man many, many, many a time throughout my life. Um, and then, as you said, I start, I joined Amazon. I, from Amazon, I uh, built a lot of great products, loved that experience there, worked directly with Jeff, as well as a guy named Andy Jassy, who's now the CEO of Amazon. Yeah. Um, I then went and started Redfin, uh, which is now about a two and a half billion dollar publicly traded company. I then started a company called Rich Relevance, which I grew to about $50 million. And then I left that company. And then about six years ago, I started Deep Sentinel. And um, and in, in a lot of ways, I see Deep Sentinel as kind of my swan song. It's, the, it's yeah. definitely the pinnacle of my career. It's the thing I'm the most proud of. And I I love waking up every day and, and working on it. And it, uh, as you said, it's in the physical security space. If you don't mind, I'll talk about that for 30 seconds. Go ahead, or... go ahead, friend. <clears throat> yeah, so uh, throughout all this, I studied, technically, I studied artificial intelligence. That's where my, my roots are technically, I love doing that. I still teach and lecture on artificial intelligence almost every week. Um, and uh, I, I went back to my roots after I left my, my last company. I spent about two years in my garage and my lab building robots. I built 
3D printers, I built drones, I built all kinds of stuff and try to get them to automate and, and, and do stuff. And I stumbled upon the problem in physical security. And, you know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, that that kind of origin story was very personal. I was working on AI. There was a type of AI that came out called deep learning, and it really kind of hit the streets around 2014, 2015. So I was working on that. And at the same time, my neighbor had a home invasion. And this woman just down the street from me, we live in a very safe, safe town in a very safe, safe neighborhood. And she has an alarm. She has cameras. She has a really expensive camera system, in fact. And yet she still was the, the victim of this horrendous crime. And my aha moment was we were sitting in the neighborhood watch meeting and I had introduced myself. I'm the head of our neighborhood watch. I'm that kind of dork, of course. Yes. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, nice. I'd introduced myself and I asked the police officer who's there, Hey, uh, officer TJ, how come this happened to her? She has an alarm. She has cameras. And he looks at me and he says, well, you're the tech guy. What did you expect the alarm to do? It wasn't armed. What did you expect your cameras to do? Like jump out and stop the crime. And I realized right. that while I'm a technologist, my, for whatever reason, that industry has like marketed us into believing that these things actually stop crime. And then they uh, don't, yeah. it's like, no. they absolutely unconditionally don't. And, and my answer to him was like, yes, I, I wanted those things to happen. And I realized none of them do that. I mean, alarm systems are plagued with false alarms, 95 to 99% of the calls from your ADT system at your home or your Xfinity home security system are false alarms. Damn. 95 to 99% are false alarms. Damn. So if you're a cop and you get a call, hey, there's a there's a there's a burglar at Michelle's house, they're gonna be like, ah. Oh. Yeah. All right. Well, annoyed. you know, I'm gonna finish doing what I'm doing and then maybe I'll go take a look at that. And in fact, most police departments in America have passed a law. It is now law that most police departments do not need to respond at all to burglar alarms because there's so many false alarms. Freakonomics 10 years ago was studying and, and they stumbled across this. They wrote an entire series on why burglar alarms are so horrible for the world. And, you know, I, I, I fundamentally believe that they actually make you less safe because they lure yeah, you into believing. Yeah. That's a high percentage. Yeah, that is a scary whoa. High percentage. It's a super high percentage. Yeah. And what it is is it's it's what you know, right? Like yeah. the cat jumped off the couch and triggered the motion alarm. You left right. the garage door open a crack and the wind blew the door open, yeah. or you know, some sensor malfunction. And and the, the, the words of Freakonomics were pretty amazing, which is like police are not in the business of closing people's garage doors, but for some reason that's what we expect them it, to do. We think they are. Yeah. No, and I can see what the cops would be like, I'm not fucking answering that. That's like the boy who yeah. cried wolf, like way too many times. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. and, and as if cops don't have real jobs to do, exactly. right? Like, yeah. hello. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's one of these things that as soon as you peel back the onion, one layer, you're just like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like that, that this makes me kind of want to throw up. I'm not going to lie. Yes. Like, cause I'm, I'm one of those people who always is worried about someone breaking in my house. Right. I'm like anxious like that. And I've debated getting one of those systems and now I will not be. <laughs> When we bought our house, it was the first thing I did. I was like, yeah, of course. Cynthia, my, my wife, call ADT and get ADT in here and get it installed. Yeah. This is 10 years ago. And I was like, you know, I read through the contract and I'm, I'm doing the thing for my family. And yeah, I'm going to exactly. make my family. It did nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it wasn't until that aha moment, I realized, holy living God, there is nothing more important to me 
than that. Than making sure my family is safe. Yeah. And I am doing a piss poor job of doing that. Oh my gosh. And and I, you know, I think it's just because it's the best thing that people know about. Like, what are you gonna do? Hire a guard to sit on a chair in front of your house all day? Like right. No, no, no you're not. And I think it it neat, but I mean it has it somebody has to have that moment that you had. Like that was as much as it sucked for your neighbor, like it had to have happened in order to cause the disruption moment. Yep. And that and that's what it was. And and, and for me I realized, oh my gosh, AI is the technology that can do 99.9% of this. And, and basically what we do is we take the experience of having a guard sitting outside of your house yeah. and we have AI do 99.9% of that work. And we only, we do it through cameras. And if somebody is doing something suspicious, the AI flags, it brings a guard onto the cameras and then the, the uh, guards intervene using two-way audio. So for example, at my house, you walk up to my house, you're carrying a crowbar, you're wearing a mask. The AI from the moment you step onto my property is monitoring that. The moment that it recognizes you have a crowbar and you're doing something suspicious, bam, it pulls a guard onto the camera. The guard within seconds, literally on average between five and 10 seconds will intervene and say, you need to get away from this property. You stop what you're doing, get away from here. And the police are on their way. And the most important thing about that, well, there's two important things. The first one is 90 plus percent of the time, people just are like, whoa, holy crap. I didn't know cameras could do that. I'm out of here. Uh, the second thing though, is that second part of the sentence, the police are on their way. That's the truth. They're because when we call the police, it's a person calling the police. Yes, ma'am. Right. It's not, not an auto dialing. Hey, I, I have a, I have a, you know, some sort of motion in the living room or I have an open garage door. Could you please go close the garage door at the Selinger's household? Like, heck no, it is. I have a, you know, white male, five foot eight, wearing a mask, carrying a crowbar, breaking into this house. I need you to respond. Every police department in the country, every police officer in the country knows that's a verified crime. I have a description of the suspect. I have a location of the suspect. I have a description of the weapon and I have a description of the crime. Bam. Because of that deep sentinel, we stop all kinds of crime. We stop trespassing. We stop vandalism. We stop package theft. We stop catalytic converter theft. We protect warehouses, um, uh, cannabis dispensers, everything. We have the only arrest in the country for a professional security organization for package theft, because we happen to call this, you know, these, these police departments. And in one case, we called one in, in South Carolina. This one got, was on the news and everything. Yeah. And um, we're like, hey, we have a package theft. And the, and the police department's like, well, that's not a priority one call, but it turns out we have an officer at the end of the block because we're, you know, we're, we're having problems with that neighborhood. We're trying to develop our relationship with them. So we happen to have an officer in the neighborhood. He gets in his car, drives half a block, arrests the guy with the package in his hand, knocks on the door. The wife opens the door. She was in the shower, so she didn't even get our calls or anything. The first time she finds out about this, the officer is there with her package returning it. The guy's in the backseat. Nice. Nice. That's what we do. That is a testament to AI right there. Um, so I have I have questions like the operational person in me, because that's where I, my background is in, in tech and stuff like that. What's the scale? Of, like, how do you scale like having the bodies, right? Because oh. I think like that's that's what the minute you said, like there's actual people. I was like, well, where, how many bodies are we talking? Yeah. Like, how does that work? Yeah, so I mean, absolutely spot on question. Now, the way that we think about it is uh, how do we get the most effective security across um, all, all of our customers. We've got a, a you know, few thousand customers, every one of the 50 states of America. How do we do that well? <clears throat> and, and so it turns out that AI does a bunch of things really well. 
it does, first of all, it can filter out most of that stuff. Oh, that's the neighbor walking their dog across the street. Don't need to guard for that. So that's the first thing AI does. And that helps to scale quite a bit. That gets rid of almost all of the footage that you get on your ring or your nest or you know whatever cameras you have at home. But actually behind that is the secret sauce. What our AI does that nobody else has even like started doing research on is we think of our guard as our customer. And so the AI actually interacts directly with our guards. We send our guards little snapshots. Hey, I think in this video, this is the part of the video that you need to look at. Here's where the person's doing something suspicious. Here are three, three other relevant people that you may need to look at that are next to this property or that just left this property. And so the AI, what it does is it's really the centerpiece of the technology to ensure that not only can we scale and, and have one guard protecting hundreds of properties at once, um, but it, they can do it really, really, really well. And so that's, that's number one, that's the kind of the t- technology disruption. And that's what enables us to be the only company in this space doing this. I mean, we're literally, I think it's about a $50 billion market. Every single small business in America needs this. Every single home in America should have this. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's a huge space and there's no competitors, but it's all because we have that kind of technology advantage there. The second thing we did, <clears throat> and this is, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners will, will know this term, but it's called gamification. It's taking a, a yeah. business project or, or task and making it kind of like interesting yeah. and competitive. Yeah. And so we actually gamify our interface. So our guards, it, it's not a video game. Let me be really clear. This is very serious work, Yeah. but we make the work feel interesting and entertaining and give them feedback. Like when you push this button, this happens. And when you push this button, this happens. And and if you push this button 50 times in a day, you, you know, you get recognized, you've done the right thing and you, you've done your job. And so we've done a lot of that work as well. So we make the job engaging. Because one of the things I found right after that kind of aha moment was that guards are asleep. Yeah, I was just thinking that exact, when you said that gamification, I was like, that is freaking brilliant because you're exactly right. Like they get paid to just sit there and sleep or there's no human being that can sit there and not zone out. There is not. And that's what you just said is such a good point. Um, And this is one of the neat things about being an entrepreneur for me is like you get to dig into these problems that that other people haven't solved. And I was interviewing Mark Zuckerberg's security team and uh, you know, not with his permission, by the way. So, you know, sorry, Mark, uh, sorry, not sorry, by the way, cause he's not sorry for anything he's done to the rest of us. So sorry, not sorry, amigo. Um, but, uh, so I was interviewing his security team and I learned like, oh my God, he has these people, some of whom are like former special forces. A lot of them are not, a lot of them are just kind of like regular Joes, Yeah. but you have this person who's like, I was in Iraq or Afghanistan and under threat of life and death. Yeah. And now I am protecting this guy's property in Hawaii where there is no one there, but the maid, no one's there, literally no one, nothing is happening for 24 hours, for a week, for a, for a month, for a quarter, for almost a year. I've seen no human beings. It's like a waste there of is not, yeah. There's no person that can stay awake in that situation. Like it yeah. just doesn't exist. They're talking about like every 30 minutes I do five pushups. And then I do 20 jumping jacks and I have to change my exercise regimen just to keep myself awake. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, what a waste of somebody who- Those are the guys that you pay 
for their for their <laughs> intense like you know ability to withstand horrible things happening and still perform under pressure like the i would only, imagine they the would be the worst doing. ones to perform when there's no fucking pressure right. right there's nothing yeah. there's nothing for them it was yeah. and, I, and i was like looking at these guys and ripped i try to work out and whatever but like what a waste what yeah. a horrible money waste. and so it's money too no money everything i mean but by the way can you get i want you to guess mark zuckerberg's security budget Oh my God. On a monthly basis. What do you Unlimited? think? Limited? Like, I don't. <laughs> Basically. Right? Like, I don't like, would there, I mean, for all of the stuff that he is over, like, yeah, a there's no amount of money. Million, error, a yeah. million dollars a month. Jesus Christ. How many yeah. hungry? Let's, let's get into the hungry children. Yeah, right. Keep it that amount argument, right? Um, no, but that's insane. So, I mean, imagine the cost savings that would yeah. occur with your product. Like, yeah, it's, it's crazy. And so, I mean, we have, I mean, I, I love it. Like I love our, our customers. I love the interaction we have with them. One of the other cool things about having two-way audio and having real people is our customers know they're real people, right? So like, if you go on our app, you'll see like, this is Mike. Mike's the guy that's protecting my daughter going to school this morning. Sweet. Like I, I've now kind of developed this like quasi weird relationship with Mike because uh, he's always protecting my kids. And I love that. And then this, the second thing is uh, our customers start to get that. And then, uh, you know, like during the holidays, my favorite thing, my, 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 my favorite thing during the holidays is we'll, we'll have between 10 and 50 customers will come out on Christmas morning and they'll have their kids with them yeah. and they'll have made us a Christmas card and it, they hold it up to the camera and they wave to us and they say, good morning, Deep Sentinel. And our guard will be like, hey, good morning, you know, Mrs. Johnson. And she's like, you know, I don't know if this is okay, but I just wanted to say Merry Christmas and thank you so much. You have changed our life. You know, we have... We had burglaries uh, or, or, you know, we had a burglary a year ago and our kids are scared to go to sleep and they every night say, thank, thank you to Deep Sentinel. And I'm just like, what a- That is number one, that is amazing marketing material. The marketer in me is like, yes, thank you, please. Because that is just such a strong testament to your product, but also like that is heartwarming on it is so, so many neat. levels. Like, oh it my gosh, so neat. oh my goodness. And I, and I, I mean, I get like, I get a letter every week from a customer. Like I, you know, again, same thing. I, yeah. I had a burglar at my home and I've not been able to sleep soundly. I sleep with a gun under my pillow and I'm scared I'm going to do something like, yeah. my gosh, really all the, we're changing people's lives. And then there's businesses. I, I, I have, I have this problem with catalytic converter theft. Or I have a problem with, with homeless people vandalizing my business every day. And I have to, I have to open up at four because my employees won't deal with this. And I have to close at 10 o'clock every night. I, I am at my wits end. And for the first time in two years, I've been able to sleep. Thank you. Right. Like it's, it's awesome. It's a, it's one of the neatest businesses I've ever had a chance to get involved in because of that, that just really deep yeah. emotional thing. Yeah. I mean, and the stats that you said about the other companies, I mean, <clears throat> it just pisses me off. Right. Because that means it's oh just, my good, God, right? it's just good messaging. Right. It's really done a really great job of selling a product, which like the marketer again to me is like, bravo, but yeah, just congratulations. Being, yeah. Being a human, I'm like that's shit happening. <laughs> like, like, well, I mean, <laughs> and think about it from a taxpayer perspective, like who's actually paying for yeah, that? We are. I am sure. paying cops, whatever, $150,000 a year plus pension and all this other stuff. Plus, by the way, all the risk that that creates. I mean, we, we've been exposed as a country this last couple of years to how complex and, and not aligned we are in terms yeah. of what the job is of a police officer. But every single one of them, good cop, bad cop, whatever, is putting their life in a situation where they're concerned about their physical safety, their livelihood, their ability to come home and see their kids in the morning. 
over a false alarm. Yeah, or like, over a damn garage door. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and this is hundreds and thousands of times. I mean, we're talking Los Angeles County did an analysis and over 15% of their entire budget was spent responding to false alarms and burglary companies. 15% of their budget was going straight into ADT's profit. Yeah, damn. And imagine as people, like, again, that kind of fight or flight, I imagine every time they go on a call, right? Your heightened senses, your, your adrenaline's going, all of that stuff, just as human beings, again, nothing. like for nothing. And, 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 and by the way, like, again, this is my entire thesis of my business is I think that because of that, when you, when you look at the macro of yeah. these alarms, they're actually making our society less safe. Yeah. They are, they're making us lulled into a false sense of security. That's less safe. Right. They're bringing police officers into situations where police officers are at heightened uh, alert. Yeah. And it's definitively that is, not, that is not safe. <laughs> Those police officers in, in some situations have shot people. They have arrested homeowners. They have arrested the business owners, right? Like yeah. you're creating a dangerous situation with our, our peak point of armed security for our society that is unnecessary. I mean, you mentioned the boy who cries, well, like at the end of that story, like the, the boy dies, right? Like yeah. the, the, these, these aren't little issues. These are very serious things. Yeah. And, and we're sending people with lethal force to respond to a, an open garage door. Just, just take a half a step back and think about that. And we're doing that tens of thousands of times a day. Yeah, that's disgusting. Yeah. And as a, you hit the nail on the head as a taxpayer, it kind of pisses me off too. And now I'm going to, now I want to go talk to people. <laughs> I mean, it, right. it's, it's a big deal. And, and I mean, yeah. if you look at it, it's really hard though, because the, these alarm companies, because <clears throat> their business is so good, yeah, they're just like eking these profits out. And so they have these big lobbying organizations that have like gone to city council meetings and said, well, if you pass this law, you're making the one burglary a year that we stop happening. And you're like, Yes. If they, it's fear-mongering. It's, it's fear-based yes. marketing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely fear-mongering because, you know, you're stopping one burglary at the expense of tens of thousands of calls um, that, that just, that there's all kinds of bad experiences. In fact, like search for, go, go on Google right now and, and search for ADT arrest. And you're not going to see any arrests from ADT. Like this is, it's, it's a little bonkers. What you're going to see is you're going to see ADT employees getting arrested. Like that's how ineffectual this is. Search for deep sentinel arrest. You're going to see lots of arrests, really. Yeah. Yes. That's, yeah. that's why I wake up every morning and why I go to work. Yeah. And I mean, and you guys, I'm assuming like the, the, my brain also went to like your footage can be used in court, all of that good stuff. Right? Yep, absolutely. <laughs> you know, cause that's always the whole too, right? You can catch them on camera, but can we actually leverage the camera? Yeah. Shot the footage. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and because the generally the chain of custody is much shorter, we're calling police to respond to a crime in real time. So yeah. the, the clothing that the person is wearing at the time of the arrest is almost right. always exactly the same. So you don't have like this, well, you know, here's this person. Is it exactly their right face? Because yeah. we arrested them the next day. They're wearing different clothes. They were at a different location. You know, all these different issues. Our chain of custody, the, the chain of and then life cycle of the criminal is typically measured in seconds. So they're at the same place, wearing the same clothes, with the evidence of the crime in their hands. So our, our success rate, not only in arresting them, but in terms of being able to enforce it. Again, think about this package stuff. Yeah. The guy had the package, was wearing the same clothes and was half a yeah. block away. It, it's you, a no brainer. <laughs> there you go, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, imagine like, especially via footage like that, right? But that's that deep of a description, right? And then you at least have the points of their face too on your cameras, right? Like my mind goes to like facial recognition. Um, I mean, everything is very, there too. Clear. And we don't even really need, we don't use facial recognition right now. And we don't really need to because um, all of our crimes are, are right then, right there, which, which especially for the pandemic, when everyone was wearing a mask, ended up being incredibly helpful. The fact that we actually do pattern recognition on the entire person, we actually can recognize, we have a thing called person recognition, which is what is the clothing you're wearing, what is your stance, what is your, um, yeah. what is your approximate height, what, what is your build, those types of things we actually use for identification. And that, during the pandemic, ended up being incredibly helpful. And I mean, how much, I mean, you may not know this, but false positives you've you've narrowed those way down so i mean i imagine yeah, I mean, like new again, people the person, new data right that's new right people, new data yeah and we have we have people in the loop and we have we have all these different protocols to kind of deal with that so, so some of the videos you'll see from deep sentinel will be the homeowner comes up there wearing a hoodie and they grab their package and you hear hey this is deep sentinel security can i help you with something and they say, oh, they look up to the camera, Just me. you know, I'm Mrs. Smith, it's me. And we say, okay, cool, Mrs. Smith, can you verify your, your security passcode? And she you know, says her passcode and you're, and you're done. Yeah. And it's really neat too, because uh, th that's actually, you, you said you had your marketer hat on. Think about that from a customer retention yeah. perspective. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, you know, here I am paying Deep Sentinel to protect my home. I'm not 100% sure they're there. I, and every single there, month there. we verify that we're there with most of our customers. There, there's a, even if it's a friendly incident, it's just a reminder that we're there and we're providing value. Again, kind of contrast that with an alarm or a camera system. If you have cameras, you're just getting alerts all day long and it's annoying and you've turned them off. So you're not getting reminded of any value. Yeah. You have, you know, an alarm system, the only value that you're seeing is when you arm it and you kind of, you know, maybe feel some value there. Ours is always, we are doing our job and our job is directly tied to the things that matter to you. Yeah, and what a wonderful mixture of AI with human beings, too, right? Because you hear a lot of the people who are like anti-AI and all that stuff, right? Um, but this is a great marriage of the two. It is, you know, and it, it, it's a great point. Um, there are lots of reasons to be afraid of AI. I get it. Um, yeah, it needs governance, but it's still valuable. Yeah, I mean, and I and I get why people don't want police to have facial recognition and and you know have the government tracking every time I go to pick up my kid and every time I'm you know, maybe I'm going on a date, right? Like, and I don't want the government to know more about my relationship with my wife than, 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 you know, my family. Like I, that's just, it's, it, it is truly an invasion of privacy. I get it. Um, uh, one of the, the great things about our kind of approach there is one, we're a private company. And that was actually a really important thought that I put into this, yeah. you know, again, whether you're kind of far left or far right, I would way rather have a private company that is accountable to customers and shareholders yep. than the kind of amorphous government that has an invisible budget that, that we pay for. Uh, you know, I, I just, I like the idea of, I have a customer, they pay me to do X and I am very crystal clear on what my X is and that is to protect them. And I then therefore kind of have very clean accountability to what I do, why I do it and how I do it. Yeah. At the same time though, I also do feel I, as an individual, am at a point where I want to give back for my kids. You know, my kids are 10 and 13 and yeah. they are my reason for being period full right, stop. Of course. Yeah. And so I want to make sure that what I'm doing is good for the world. So actually when we, when we were about to launch about three months before launch, I did, uh, I did something I don't talk about very often, but I think it's relevant here, which is, you know, some of the organizations that are really scared of AI, 
NAACP, the ACLU. Yep. Um, so I actually, I, I had a friend of mine who used to work uh, in the Department of Justice and he has relationships with all these, these organizations. I asked him, could you please do me a favor and assemble them proactively, not at their request, right. at my request. And I wanna have a conversation with the legal counsels of those organizations and tell them what I'm gonna do and get their feedback to find out how do I use AI in a way that you find, you know, maybe I'm not gonna change my business model for you. Like, let's just be clear, I have a business. No, but it's back. good to have the feedback and it's good to not be in an echo chamber. It is. And, right. and I, what I found is I'm the only person that's ever done that ever Sad. in the history of those organizations. Sad. So uh, that ended up being a good thing and a bad thing. It ended up being a bad thing because the first three hours were just like them venting. It was, it was like, have you ever met somebody who's been like beaten their entire life yeah, that's and you finally give them happens. a chance? Yeah. They yeah. just, they emptied on me. And I was like, Whoa, we recorded this on video. And it is me just sitting there kind of holding onto the desk for two and a half or three hours just getting yelled at. And then finally, about, like I said, two and a half, three hours in, this lady stands up. And I remember this lady to this day, she was awesome. And she goes, you know, guys, this guy, here he is, little guy, I'm five foot six, so, so she's a little guy. Uh, you know, he flew out here and he, he paid all of us and he paid this attorney and he paid for our lunch and he asked us for our feedback and all we've done is yell at him. And it happened to be the same day Mark Zuckerberg was testifying in front of uh, in front of Congress. Yeah. And at the same time, we have this guy who's kind of being an a-hole and avoiding this entire conversation. Shouldn't we maybe yep. give him a chance to say something and ask some questions? And that was the watershed moment. Um, from that point forward, she said, could you just tell us what you want? And I said, look, thank you, first of all, because yes, you're right. You, yep. We could do this. We could do this for the entire eight-hour day. And you guys could yell at me and maybe you'll feel better, but I won't have gotten anything constructive right. so that I can run my business it. better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if we can stop right now with the yelling at me part and move into, you know, like you're not going to hold me accountable as the epitomic Silicon Valley entrepreneur, like doing that is not going to do anything. Just nobody's going to come after me. But right. if instead I tell you what I'm doing, why I'm doing it how I'm doing my best to meet your needs, what I understand your needs to be, you can correct me. You can tell me I understand your needs incorrectly. You can tell me that I understand your problems incorrectly. You can tell me that my way of solving things creates another problem. Those are the three questions I would like to go through. And then, and then they did, they let me do it. And it became an awesome meeting. Um, and, you know, at the end of the meeting, this woman came forward and she said, you know, look, I, I, um, I understand that we don't want to cause racial problems and, and like perpetuate racial stereotypes. And so we need to make sure that your AI doesn't do that. But I have this unique situation that I live in the projects in Baltimore and I have been broken into three times and I don't feel safe in my home and I deserve to feel safe in my home. So at the same time, I'm wearing both of the hats and I would yeah. buy your system because I need to know that I'm safe. Yeah. That, period. Yeah. I mean, Brad and, for open up the conversation there because you're, but you're right. I think if you, you needed that three hours inventing that needed to happen or else you wouldn't have gotten any, anyway. If I were not a parent, I would have not made it to that meeting. I'll tell you that because <laughs> as a parent, you kind of learn <laughs> That's true. to you let learn. people just, okay, this is, this is that, this is just the vomiting emotions stage. Yeah. And you know, I was white knuckled. You can see it in the, I've watched the video since then. And I'm like this, I'm like, yeah. but I, but I just gritted my teeth and I let them get it out. 
and uh, and, it, and it turned out to be awesome. You know, I, they gave us ended up giving us some really good feedback on how we hire. They gave us good feedback. I wasn't tracking race because I didn't want our AI to accidentally train on race. Yeah. And they actually told us we need you to track race on every single one of your crime stops, every one of your your things because. I want to know if any of your guards have become accidentally or, or yeah, intentionally yeah. racist. That's a good point. I want to know if your AI is becoming intentionally or unintentionally racist. And so we actually changed some of our data collection techniques. We changed some of our data storage techniques. We changed our training. Um, what else did we change? We changed um, some of our, our policies for enforcement. So it ended up being something that I'm really I'm, I'm really proud of. And it was it didn't have to go that way. No. <laughs> No, but that's, that's cool. interesting that they said, keep it in because I mean, you have to have it, you have, you have to set the baseline for it being realistic to the, to the community, unfortunately, I guess, in order for, to, to improve. Right. I would think. Yeah. And it, and it was, it, and it, and it ended up being, I also learned about some of the hiring practices that they were recommending. I didn't actually implement all their hiring practices. They were, they were maybe a little far further left than I am. Um, or maybe a lot further left than I am, but, but we found a compromise. I told them what I was going to do and I followed up. I, I, you know, three months later, I said, here are the things I heard from you. Yeah. Here are the things that we did. Here are the things that we're not going to do. And if you have any further feedback, always feel free to reach out to me. And it, was, it ended up being really cool because, you know, I, I think it also opened for them, right? These are the most senior people. They probably live in their own little echo chamber yeah. a little bit to a certain degree of what they see of the world and, and not because they're intentionally doing that, but just because we all we kind all of do. knew we all because do. of Facebook. Yeah, screw yep. you, Mark. Um, but uh, I think it opened their eyes that there is a constructive conversation to be had here, and there is a willingness to work together, and that there is overlap. If we if we choose to do that, we can find overlap. And I yeah, I love that. I mean, that that's one of my favorite things about this company was the opportunity to kind of take those steps and and, yeah. and have those types of conversations. Yeah, because then you're not in, and I don't mean this as in race. I mean it in, in as in um, psychology, like black and white thinking. It's this or it's that, right? There mm -hmm. is some sort Very of that gray so. area, and I think a lot of the times <laughs> people think AI is this or that, right? Like very much that, but it's the, the people behind it that program it that make it. Well, and we're not in a world where we get to choose those things a yeah. lot of times. So like you, yeah. you're not going to get to choose that AI is bad and therefore it's going away. I'm yeah. not in a position to do no. that. No, people at Google are not in a position. AI is going to happen. Yep. Period. It's just a matter stop. of how you want it to happen. That's right. And so if you live in a world where you will, and, 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 and I will let some of my political inclinations come out here, where you allow the political parties to make us feel like it's black and white and we, and, yeah, and exactly. pretend you do have the ability to turn things into these, you know, highly bifurcated worlds, that only benefits the political parties, in my opinion. Yeah, the the yeah. real world lives in the middle. The real world lives in people that I feel this way, but I can have a conversation about this. Yeah. And that's where we're going to have progress. That's where we're going to find the, the recreation of small businesses. That's where we're going to find the, the reignition of the middle class in America. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I really hate the fact that our political parties benefit from the creation of strife because I don't, I don't see any of us in the middle benefiting from that at all. I, I, um, I've almost refused to engage in politics because I just, I, I don't like either party, period. You know, I, I definitely am registered one way, and I think one of them has a, a higher kind of calling, but I, yeah. And I've been exposed to so much trash on both sides that I, I could not loyally say I'm either of them. And I think the parties themselves are more aligned in disliking any of our negotiating and discussing in the middle 
than they are in actually being different or caring about what they do. Yeah. And there's so much, there's so much in the, and again, like I hate to make this political, but there's so much <clears> in the political sector that don't understand the technology at hand anyway. Oh my word. That it makes me like when I oh. hear like the, the thing, you know, today we're, we're so, recording yeah. this on the Elon Musk is going to buy Twitter day. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and all this stuff. And, you know, I, I hear it from relatives and they're like, oh my God, look at this. And I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> Like, that's not how any of this shit works, people. Like, yeah, it is. It is so weird to to see. Like, we statement one, we should be in control of this. Yes. Statement two, we don't understand it at all. And statement three, it's wildly impactful, and our policies will be wrong. Yeah. Like, there you go. That's that's a good platform. Yeah. Oh my goodness, I could talk to you all day about this stuff. Um, just because it reminds me, I spent like ten years in tech, and it just it makes me miss it. So. Well, thank you. Anything else that you kind of want to share with our guys about your product or about your stance when we wrap it up? You, you know, that, I, so. I, I, uh, I love it. I love the conversation. Thank you for letting me talk about things that I'm really passionate about. This, this yeah. is uh, this was fun. Um, you know, I, I, um, I definitely am a big believer in kind of where AI is going. If I, if I could kind of take a technology stint, obviously I am mired in technology, but I know a lot yeah. of your entrepreneurs kind of, they, they touch it and they, they're interested in it. Um, but they don't live in it like the way that I do. If I, could, if I could reach out to all of them and say, there are two things I would love you to read about. The two things that I think that we will all benefit from having the entire entrepreneurial class of America engaged in, the first one would be AI. Like yeah. learn a little bit about it. Not again, not again in these kind of black and white terms, but in like, what can it do? I mean, we're surrounded by it, whether it's Alexa is, is built on deep learning. Uh, our Facebook algorithms in terms of recognizing our friends, that's deep learning. Tesla's self-driving car, that's deep yep. learning. Yep. The filters we use on Snapchat, that's all deep learning. All of that stuff is deep learning. But here's where I think it gets super interesting. How do you use that in your business? How could you use speech recognition and, and change your business? Are there smarter ways that you could be using it in your, in your phone system or for dictation or just you know, any of the, the tasks that you got out there? Speech recognition, image recognition, those are all things that are tools now that are available to entrepreneurs and small business owners that can really change the way that you do business. And understanding that is something that I think is just, again, it's, it's turned into these two black and white things. That, that's not what it is. What it is, is it's, it's the stuff in the middle. It's the awesome stuff in the middle. So I, I think you yeah. guys will have a, a heyday there. The second one is crypto. Um, and, and I was going to say, go. we're going to get out of this conversation. Big without landline, that right? <laughs> um, but, but crypto, again, it's like, it's, it's been pulled apart by, you know, the media that we're generally exposed to and like, it's all trash or it's amazing. And it's the future. It, it's a little bit of both, right? Like there's trash crypto yeah. out there. Let of me just, there is. And, and, and I would bet that more than half of the crypto is trash. So let me just acknowledge that side of the argument, yeah. but there's amazing stuff happening there and it's changing a lot of businesses in terms of uh, how do we think about transactions? How do we secure transactions? How do we uh, look at and make business more transparent and, yeah. and visible out there? Um, I don't know how I feel about NFTs yet. I think there'll be yeah, some I go cool back and forth stuff too. out yeah. there, but, but crypto in general is one that I think, again, you know, whether it's a hotel and, and you think about okay, now you can look up your reservation using crypto and you can ensure that this is yours or, or travel tickets. You know, here's your, here's your ticket. It's a, it's a token and you can look at all the authentication around it and I'm going to give it to you. And I'm not going to do some crazy, like it's $10,000 for a picture of an ape on your ticket. Like, I don't think that's going to work. 
But I do think that there are lots of neat things you can do that will engage your customers and, and maybe it allows you to talk to them about different stuff. And you, and, and you as a business owner say, look, I don't know that, that much about crypto, but I did this because I wanted to learn from our customers. And we know our customers know a lot about crypto. And I'll bet you a hundred bucks uh, that, that you'll have 20 customers come to you and say, hey, this is really interesting. Why did you do this? Let me tell you, I happen to be you know, Elon Musk, right? Like you'll find people that will come out of the woodwork that are your customers you don't even know. And so I think yeah. there's all kinds of neat stuff you can do in both of those worlds. No, I think I think that's great. I think you, you made a really good point around, yeah, there's crap and there's trash, but where there's innovation, there's gonna be all of it. Like that's yeah. the thing that I don't, that I just, when people kind of make it again, black and white, I'm like, do you, there's humans involved. <laughs> Like it's going to be messy folks, but yeah. if you can just watch the really cool stuff come out of it, it'll be amazing. Well, this conversation was amazing. So let me just tell you that. Um, so Thanks thank you. I enjoyed it. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Awesome. And, and if anybody wants to know more about Deep Sentinel, the best place to go to, to learn about that is our YouTube channel. Yes. As you mentioned, we have tons yes. of marketing material. Yes, we we produce a video every week of like the best crime stops. It's like watching cops. Just go to YouTube and search for Deep Sentinel. And then the other way is uh, if you want, you can follow me on LinkedIn and I publish little snippets here. A lot of them are self-serving, you know, caveat, caveat, caveat. But a lot of them are just like, you know, kind of general observations about business and, and the world. And I think you get a sense of where I sit politically. I comment on that every once in a while as well. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. And we'll put, we'll make sure to link stuff in the notes too. So thank you so much, David. Awesome. I enjoyed it a ton. Thank you. I'd love to come back sometime. Yeah. Well, this episode made me a little bit on the anxious side of things, I'm not going to lie. Um, so, I mean, I can say that I learned a ton, right? Like, you know, I never would have thought some of those stats that he told us. I never even, never would have thought of some of those points. So I thought it was really interesting, but I'm also always interested in new technologies, disruption, innovation, and just, you know, ways of thinking out of the box. You know, he saw an issue and he went after it and he solved it. And that's kind of the core fundamental you know, thing about being an entrepreneur, right? As you see something in your life that is driven potentially by a personal experience or one that is personal to you, and it makes you drive for a solution. So I want you to take, you know, today's interview and use it as one big example and driving force to, you know, let you know that you can do the same thing. And to leverage AI, leverage the latest technologies, even if you are a small business or a solopreneur or whatever you may be, always be kind of looking at what is out there and how it can be repurposed to your benefit. And on next week's episode, I am welcoming Andrew Ryder. Now, Andrew has a really interesting topic because he's going to talk to us about how entrepreneurship absolutely ruined his life, which is really interesting given the fact that we like entrepreneurship here, but he's going to tell us all about how it ruined it and what he learned from it. So you won't want to miss it. And if you love this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, download, follow, rate, and review. And you know, tell a friend, because who couldn't use a little more resilience in their life, right? See you later.